The following podcast is provided by truthforsaints.com, a resource for cults, religions, and church history. Well, welcome everybody back to the Truth for Saints podcast, uh, episode three. I'm Andrew Hamilton, founder of truthforsaints.com. I'm here with Dr. Ken Hochstetter. Last couple of weeks, we've covered a bit about who we are, where we come from. Last week, we covered an overall structure of the Bible, basically breaking it down into its various components, its various uh, parts. And we're going to continue with our examination of the Bible or or discussion of the Bible. Uh, We're going to talk about the truth claims of the Bible. But prior to doing that, it made a lot of sense to perhaps go into a discussion of what truth is. Now, reading from the NASB, going back to a time when Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate said, and and basically the accusation was that Jesus claimed to be a king, and Pilate was trying to ascertain whether or not Jesus believed he was a king or not. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. That's verse 36. Verse 37, therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate, verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? And basically walked away. So that is the question that we would like to uh, provide some answers for this week. That is the question that Ken will go into. So I'll tell you where a lot of this comes from. This is why this is important. Is Many of us probably already know why this is important. But I had a discussion with my son's teacher. They basically have a, a system whereby they will teach religious education, RE, and will promote other religions, but will demote Christianity. And that's nothing new. That's in any school system, typically. Uh, Other religions are promoted, are uh, extolled, are spoken of in a very positive light, whereas Christianity, typically they'll give you an overview from either a Roman Catholic point of view, which is not biblical Christianity, or Worse than that, they will give you a very secularized view of what Christianity is or the Christian claims, not knowing what those claims are. So my son wrote about Christianity, and he was, the question was, to you, in your own words, your own opinion, what value do you see, or something along these lines, what value do you see in Christianity? And my son wrote, uh, Jesus came to save us from all the other weird religions like <laughs> Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, and he named all these things. So that set his teacher on fire, basically, and he pulled me aside and said, you know, don't you see? This is it. You see what he's writing? He wrote that. Do you believe that he wrote that? And I said, he's absolutely correct. And he said, well, no, He he's trying to make it sound like Christianity is superior to the other religions. And I said, well, it is superior to the other religions. In fact, the other religions basically believe in gods that don't exist, that uh, my son belongs to a monotheistic family. We are a family that believes that there is one God and only one way to heaven, and it's through his son, Jesus. So I'm explaining to him why we believe that to be the case. And his answer to me was, well, that's your opinion. That's what you think. And I said, well, yeah, that's what I think, but that's also what about another 70 million people also believe. Uh, At which point, I think when I said that, he immediately started to backpedal and realized, okay, I'm not just dealing with one guy. There's probably a fair number of other people that also still adhere to uh, the scripture as as the ultimate source of truth. But anyways, the point is, I know that's not an isolated incident. I know that there are a number of Christians uh, that are dealing with things like this. Well, that's your truth. That's what you think. That's what your, that's, that's your way of looking at it. And in this discussion, what we would like to do is provide some answers for what truth is. So now, 
I have this on the truthforsaints.com website. Ken has uh, contributed a, 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 a an article basically to explain the basic building blocks of truth. And it, what it will do is it will give you an ability or an understanding on how to approach the topic of truth without kind of following following into the traps of of the different types of truth, which we'll discuss in a minute, the four types of truth, which I mentioned on the site. Uh, but more importantly, it's, it's how to engage in the pursuit of truth itself. And really, it's to answer that question that uh, Pilate asked that, of Jesus, what is truth? So with that, I'll hand it off to uh, Dr. Ken Hochstetter. And uh, why don't you, if, if you would, take us through your article and, and why don't you take us through what what truth is and, and help us to answer that question. First, I want to start off by saying that we should probably make our question more precise. Pilate asked the question, what is truth? And that's a very general question and perfectly fine, but it's going to be difficult to answer if we don't make it more precise. And launching off of what Andrew said in discussing uh, religious belief, what we're really interested in, I think, is what is it for a belief to be true and are beliefs true and is it the case that all beliefs are on equal footing truth wise or rationality wise and so uh, let's focus our question not on what is truth in general but um, what is it for a belief to be true and does that even make sense does that question even make sense i think of course it does And I also believe that even that teacher included in the rest of us do think there is such a thing as truth. There are people who say, and I've had discussions with people about this, who would say truth is relative and there is no such thing as an absolute truth. But I think we all know that that's wrong. And I can give some precise examples as to why that's wrong. That'll be our question. What is it for a belief to be true? Because that's what we're interested in. So first of all, I guess one thing we would want to do is make some distinctions. There's a difference between what is it for a belief, or we might even say a claim, to be true, and a separate question as to how do we know that it's true. We need to keep those separate, and those two are often merged and confused. And so if I were to ask my students, what is it for a belief to be true, you get various answers. For example, well, a belief is true if we have evidence for it. If we have no evidence for the belief, then it's neither true nor false. But I think right there what's going on is we're confusing a belief being true with our knowing that it's true. Yeah. And we need to keep those two separate. So what we're addressing is what is it for a belief to be true? And surprisingly, it doesn't require evidence. You could have evidence, first of all, for a belief where that belief, it turns out, is false. Take some scientific belief that we've now rejected. So we used to believe scientifically as a human race that the earth was the center of the universe. And not only the moon, but the other planets, the sun, and the stars revolved around the earth. That was a belief that we all held based on our observation, based on predictions and the like. Well, as it turns out, that's false. But we had a lot of evidence for it. And so the fact that you have a lot of evidence for a belief alone doesn't mean that the belief is true. It could be true. And maybe the best thing to do is believe upon that evidence. But the fact that you have evidence doesn't guarantee it's true. Second, you could have a belief that is true It really is true, for which there simply is no evidence. For example, what if I form some just random weird belief that, say, long time ago, Fred the dinosaur ate Bob the dinosaur for lunch one day. And let's just suppose there is a dinosaur picked out by the name Fred, and there's a dinosaur picked out by the name Bob, and my belief is true. Fred really did eat Bob for lunch one day. But of course, we have no evidence for that right now. But you wouldn't say that my belief is false just because we have no evidence for it. Now, I'm not suggesting that we have no evidence for our Christian beliefs. I'm suggesting that having evidence for a belief is not what makes a belief true. Hmm. Having evidence for a lacking evidence for a belief is not what makes a belief false. So the first thing 
point I want to make is that um, truth is one thing, having evidence for it is another. Mm. So what is it that makes a belief true? Well, I think we can look to evidence as a clue. Why is it that we count evidence for a belief as a test of its truth? So somebody tells me it's raining outside, but I'm puzzled by that because I heard the weatherman tell me, well, it's not going to be raining today. So what do I do to test that belief? Well, I go outside and I look. Well, what am I doing? Well, I'm looking at the world and I'm comparing it to the statement, it's raining outside, as my evidence. Well, the reason I do that, the reason we do that, is because we think there's this sort of relationship between the way the world is and what we think it is. And if the two match up, we judge the belief or the statement to be true. And if the two do not match up, we judge the statement to be false. And so I think we all very well know that what it is for a belief to be true is for the world to be the way we believe it to be. Hmm. And a belief is false if the world is not the way we believe it to be. And by world here, I mean the way things really are in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so suppose I believe, I form the belief, there's such a thing as Bigfoot running around up in the States in Wyoming, right? So that's my belief. But in fact, there isn't such a thing as Bigfoot running around up in Wyoming. Well, if there isn't such a thing as Bigfoot believing, running around up in Wyoming, I could believe it all I want. But the fact of the matter is, I have a false belief. And I have a false belief because there is no Bigfoot. Now, maybe I'm rational in believing it. Maybe I have some evidence. Maybe uh, the best thing for me to do, given my state of mind, is to believe that. But the fact that that's the best thing for me to do or I have evidence for it doesn't mean it's true. And so I think the most important thing we can say about truth and what we all know already, I'm not telling anything we don't know, is that what it is for a belief to be true is for the world to be a certain way, for it to match up with my belief. Now, we tend to think this way and we, we all agree when it comes to scientific or empirically testable beliefs. But then all of a sudden, for no apparent reason, or maybe because we don't want to offend anybody, when we turn to such things as moral claims or religious claims, all of a sudden we make a switch. Exactly. And we think, no, everybody gets to be right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. So not everybody gets to be right if it's, say, believing that the earth has three moons. <laughs> right. If I believe the earth has three moons and you believe the earth has one moon, we wouldn't say our beliefs are on equal footing or we're both right. Exactly, yeah. But why then do we both get to be right if I say God exists, but you say, no, there is no God? Mm -hmm. If I say Jesus is God and you say, no, Jesus isn't God, isn't it the same thing? Well, of course it is. And the world either is a certain way or it isn't. Yeah. Jesus either is God or he isn't. And so if I believe Jesus is God and he is, my belief is true. If I believe Jesus is not God and he's not, my belief is false. And so what it is for our belief to be true, and we know this in every area of life, is for our belief to match up with the world. Yeah. And it, what it is for a belief to be false is for it to fail to. But go ahead. Uh, go ahead and comment, Andrew. Yeah, I, I would think that oftentimes it's at, th at this point that perhaps an atheist might say, well, yeah, I agree with you entirely. Just as you say, it is raining outside, but there's no rain coming down, you can dispel that as being untrue. Just as you say, there is a God, but I see no evidence for that God, therefore I can dispel that as untrue. Just as we would need rain falling from the sky to corroborate our claim that uh, it is raining outside, the atheist might then say, well, there, there needs to be uh, empirical evidence. And they won't say empirical, but they'll say there needs to be evidence. And that, believe me, I, I, that, that evidence is a moving target because the second that you give them evidence, it, it now has to be in a different form and that's thrown out and that's, that sort of thing. But, Correct. Uh, but the, the thing is, that's what they would claim. They would say, yes, I agree with you 100%, Ken. It is not raining outside because no rain is falling down. There is no God because there is no evidence for that God. Now, if you could, if you could take a couple minutes just to clarify if someone did call you on that particular point. Yeah, what I would say is I would say let's stay on topic. I would be perfectly happy to discuss evidence for the truth of Christianity or for the existence of God. I'd be perfectly happy to discuss that. But that's not our topic. Our topic is what it is for a belief to be true. And so the moment you start uh, asking, well, what's your evidence for God? You've changed topics. 
I'm not talking about evidence right now. I'm just talking about what it is for the belief to be true or false. Mm -hmm. My belief that God exists is true if God exists, whether or not I have evidence or not. Um, So the question of rationality is one thing. The question of knowledge is one thing. And the question of what it is for the belief to be true is entirely different. Right. And what we're talking about right now is what it is for the belief to be true. So let's stay on topic. And then later <laughs> we can discuss the topic of whether or not we have sufficient evidence for God, which is different from what is it for the belief to be true, Right. Okay. which is what we're talking about. Yeah, right. Yeah, so we're right. talking about what it is for a belief to be true, not do we have evidence. Gotcha. Staying on that topic and just repeating, I think we can all agree and we should all agree that what it is for a belief to be true is for the world to match up with what we believe. And what it is for a belief to be false is for the world to fail to match up. We believe something, but the world is not that way, so we have a false belief. And again, it's a, a further separate issue as to whether or not we have evidence or knowledge of that, which we'll get to. I mean, certainly in further podcasts, we're going to talk about evidences and knowledge. But if we don't have a handle on truth, then we're kind of wasting our time talking about evidence and knowledge. So mm-hmm. let's, let's keep those two separate. Sure. So what it is for a belief to be true? The world's a certain way. But you mentioned four different types of truth, and I think that's correct. It doesn't change the fact that what it is for a belief to be true is for the world to be a certain way, but because the world is, I guess you could say, in four different categories, and I'm not sure I'm happy with this way of putting it, but I'll put it this way. You could say that truth comes in four different categories. Let me explain what I mean. We can distinguish the world being a certain way and unchanging. So there are certain unchanging facts in the world. For example, the facts of mathematics and the the facts of uh, logical inference. Those would be unchanging, fixed features of the world. And so we have a label for that, which is absolute. Okay. These are absolute aspects of the world. Well, if a belief being true is matching up with the world then when we have beliefs about mathematics and logic, whether true or false, we would call those absolute truths or falsehoods. So if I believe 2 plus 2 equals 4, I have an absolute true belief. Absolute in the sense that it never changes. 2 plus 2 equals 4, always everywhere. And if I have a belief that 2 plus 2 equals 16, then I have an absolute false belief Hmm. because it's absolutely false, always everywhere, that 2 plus 2 equals 16. Other aspects of the world, however, change. We go from day to night. Weather patterns change. The moon moves from here to there around the earth. The earth is rotating on its axis. And so certain aspects of the world change. And so our beliefs will change in truth value. So let's suppose that it is raining in Seattle on some Sunday all day. And I believe that it's raining in Seattle all day and it happens to be Sunday, my belief is true. If I continue to believe it's raining all day and we've moved into Monday, and I believe it's raining in Seattle all day today, but it's Monday and it's no longer, then my belief is false. So my belief it's raining all day today has gone from true to false because the world has changed. And so we call that a relative. It's relative because it changes. There are such things as relative truth, not in the sense that somebody can believe contradictory things. So, for example, some people say the belief that God exists is relative. It's true for some, false for others. But that's not the right sort of belief that can be relative because if God exists, he always exists. Mm -hmm. Or if he doesn't exist, he never exists. And so that's not the sort of belief that can be relative in the same way that I believe it's noon now, but I could be wrong about that or it changes. I'm right sometimes. Or you and I could be sitting in a room together. I could say it's cold in here, whereas you would say it's warm in here. Yeah. I mean, that's that's an example I give. I don't know how weak that is, but uh, that's an example that I give for a, a, a truth being relative. Basically, it's if for me, it's cold in here because I'm sitting in a conference room in boxer shorts. And for me, it, it really is cold in there. Probably for everybody else, it's quite uh, offensive for them as well. But uh, you might be there in, you know, in in your Green Bay Packers gear in uh, top to bottom, and, and you're completely uh, warm. So what you're saying here is the the belief in, in a God existing or not existing is uh, along the lines of a mathematical truth, where it's an absolute. Either it does coincide with the world as as it is, or it does not. 
Is that? <clears throat> yeah, that's correct. And and, and your example is a good one. Uh, there's another name for the example you gave too, which I'll get to in a second. You are correct that that would be an example of relative. And there's also another name for it. I'm going to get to that. Let me give the other distinction and then I'll come back to why God would fall into the absolute category. Right. So an, another distinction we would make besides absolute versus relative is objective versus subject over non-objective. A non-objective aspect of the world. Let's talk about the world first. A non-objective aspect of the world would be an aspect of the world which is the way it is independent of us humans. The fact that the moon revolves around the earth, the fact that water is composed of H2O has nothing to do with us. We didn't create that. We Mm. discover it. And so we call that objective. And so now when I have a belief about the world that's objective, then my belief is objective. Not necessarily objectively true. It's objective meaning it's objectively true or false. To say it's objective means whether it's true or false has nothing to do with anything I think, believe, desire, or hope. So I could hope, desire, believe all I want that the earth has two moons, but if it doesn't, my belief is false in an objective way. Sure. Okay. That is, it has nothing to do with what I think. Your example of it feeling cold does, however, have to do with me. It has to do with how I'm feeling. It has to do with my internal mental life. And so because it has to do with me, what I think and feel is my aspect of the world. The world feels cold to me. And so we call that a subjective claim, a subjective belief, because it's about me. What I believe actually makes the belief true. Right. If I believe it's cold, then it then my belief is true because I'm cold. Sure. Um, and so we call that subjective. It depends on me. But the fact that the earth has only one moon doesn't depend on me. And so it's objective. Now go to the question, does God exist? Does the existence of God depend on me? Well, if it did, that would mean by me choosing to believe in God, I actually caused the creator of the universe to exist. That things that seems to get things backwards, doesn't it? Oh yeah. <laughs> isn't it isn't it the case that God's existence causes my existence, which allows me to have the belief? So I could believe all I want that there's a Bigfoot. It's not going to cause there to be a Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. I could believe all I want that there's a Loch Ness Monster. It's not going to cause there to be a Loch Ness Monster. I could believe all I want that there's a God. It's not going to cause there to be a God. And vice versa. I could fail to believe all I want that there's no Bigfoot, but if there is one, I don't cause him to not exist (laughs) by not believing. And And if there's no God, sorry, if there is a God and... I form the belief that there isn't one. My failure to believe doesn't cause him to cease to exist. And so that's why the belief in the existence of something, Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, or God, is objective. And when it comes to God, since his existence is such that he either always exists or never exists, it's not only objective but absolute. One of the interesting things is that in a, an early debate, one of the old, you can still find all these these old debates. I think it was it a guy named Zingler that William William Lane Craig uh, debated back in the day. I mean, it's back in the '90s. I remember watching it with you on a VHS tape. I think we had a <laughs> tape, uh, but uh, I think it was like Zingler or Zipplers. I think I think it was Zingler actually. That sounds that sounds yeah. right. Yeah, and uh, anyhow, one of the things is that, that one of the claims he made along these lines, what you were saying, is he says, "Well, God exists to the Christians only because they so want Him to exist that He exists in their minds, right?" Yeah. And uh, probably that was borrowed from the God delusion with Richard Dawkins, Richard Dawkins' book. But the thing is, it's this desire that we that we we so want God to exist that that we He therefore does to us and for us. And mm-hmm. but 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 uh, Craig's answer to that was, well, that that's ridiculous. It's it's like saying that uh, God doesn't exist because the atheists so wants him not to exist that he doesn't exist well now i would say that because i i i I think actually atheists know he exists but they hate him 
and and that and that he basically infuriates him. And then I, I have reasons for that. And the reason I believe that is atheists spend so much time and so much energy talking about something that doesn't exist. That for me, it it traps them in the ontological argument that they're obviously thinking so much about this 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 being that that there's something out there and they're just quite angry about it. But anyhow, that's a different discussion. The point yeah. is though, that's not how truth is determined. It's not because I want it to be or or think it to be that it does. It it it, it either is or it isn't, isn't it? Yeah, when it, especially when it comes to objective matters. When it comes to subjective matters, and again to emphasize a subjective matter is one that truly is about me. So if I say I like spinach, that's a belief about me, and therefore, by liking spinach, I make that belief true. Okay, because that's that's it's, it's about me. But when I say I believe God exists, what's my belief about? Mm. It's not about me. It's about this being out there, right? Yeah. And you said something that I wanted to uh, go back to, and that is the phrase your son's teacher mentioned. And people often speak this way. They say things like, "That's your truth," and that and but my truth is something different. But let's analyze what that means, that's your truth. Suppose I say it's my truth that the earth has two moons. Basically, all I'm saying is I believe it. But if I believe it and it's false, how is it my truth? It's not my truth, it's my falsehood. Exactly. It's just a falsehood <laughs> yeah, yeah. I happen to believe. That's right. Right. Yeah. So I, I really don't like that phrase, this is my truth. Instead, what people should say is this is my belief. And yeah, that's correct. Muslims have the belief that Jesus is not God. Christians have the belief that Jesus is God. And so they have different beliefs. But it would be a mistake to say they have different truths. Yeah. Because to say they have different truths would mean it really is true that Jesus is God. Yeah. And it really is true that he's not. But that's a contradiction and that can't be. Yeah. Instead, we should say this is what they believe and this is what we believe. And, and then it's a further question, which one is true? Which one is only true? One, yeah. Only one can be true. And so the phrase, that's your truth, really should be replaced with, this is my belief, and that's your belief. And then it's an open question of whether it's true, whereas if you say, this is my truth, it's as if we've shut down conversation as to whether it could be false. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Exactly. It shouldn't be shut down that way. And so we should say, this is what I believe. And so that statement that, and I can't remember his name either, Zingler mentioned that you know you christians so badly want god to exist that it becomes your truth well what he should have said is you christians want god to exist so badly that it becomes your belief well that's correct it does become our belief and now the question is is that belief true and the answer is well it's true if god exists Mm. and it's false if he doesn't Mm -hmm. And then it's a further question of, well, how do we know that? Well, then that gets us into that discussion. But we should forever put aside this statement, uh, that's my truth, instead replace it with, I believe it. And then it's an open question of whether it's true or false. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that I, I see that disappearing. I, mean, I don't know if you do from, from, where you, from where you stand, but it was really big in the 90s. That's your truth, their truth. Um, all truth is uh, relative, that sort of thing. I've seen that fade considerably. I think a lot of people have sort of uh, found different ways of repackaging that in in their own way. You know what I mean? I I don't know if you're finding that as well, but essentially, at the heart of it is still the same thing. That's your way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. This is my way of looking at it. So, mm-hmm. but you know that, that that might be a much more innocent sounding a packaging of that same idea, but really, uh, it's my way of looking at it. But it, to say that that's my belief, that's your belief, but one way or another, one of us is correct and one of us is incorrect. That 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 then is the question it should lead to. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that this belief about relativity of truth diminishing. I'm not sure. Sh- I'm not sure it is. I'm sorry. Yeah, let me clarify. I don't see the belief in the relative truth. No, I, I see word choices changing. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. and it's re, re, repackaged. That's how you see it. That's how you yeah. feel. It's the same thing, but it's been repackaged because I think most likely, well, maybe they've seen the error of that or the indefensibility of the idea of, of multiple truths for a particular well, thing. Well, let me, let me address that because... Um, I don't know about numbers. I, I don't know about surveys and, you know, the whether this is a growing population. But there is a 
a belief out there that all truth really is relative to the observer. There is that belief. So right. let me let me back up a little bit. The philosopher Immanuel Kant distinguished between the world as the way it is in and of itself, and then the world as we observe it. And Kant had this idea that the way we observe it may not match up with the way it really is, because as information comes into us, we categorize it. And so we may not be seeing the world the way it really is. Maybe we are, maybe we aren't, but we're kind of trapped in the way we view things in our conceptual scheme. Hmm. Now, Kant thought there really was a world the way it is, and he thought there really was a God. But some people who are more radical have come along since Kant and said, there really is no way the world is in and of itself. All there is is the way we observe it. And so it really is true that if you see the world this way, that really is true. And if I see the world this way, it really is true. And if they're contradictory, that's okay because there is no way the world is. The name of this, it has different names, but one name of this is postmodernism. Postmodernism. You may have heard the yeah, name. Yeah, oh, for, for sure. Postmodernism. Yeah, yeah. And, and postmodern thinking, both the atheist and the theist are correct. Hmm. Well, I find this absurd. Postmodernism, it's something you could discuss in the philosophy classroom. But the postmodern looks both ways before crossing the street. Absolutely. Yeah, well, well put. Yeah. You can't live that way. Yeah. It's clear that they live by absolutes all day long. They, they, yeah. they have to, as, as we all do. And so I find that a bizarre worldview. I find it's all uh, self-contradictory, in meaning that, yeah. uh, that it's almost as if it's all an illusion and we all are believing our own illusion, and, but our own illusion is, is very real and important and viable for us, but not for anyone you know, else. Yeah. Here, here's something interesting about postmodernism. If you, kind of, if you kind of take a step back and look, when they say things like this, your belief system is entirely true and my belief system is entirely true even though they're contradictory because there is no way the world is in and of itself aren't they making a statement about the way the world is in and of itself correct absolutely <laughs> and that's so and so the very statement there is no way the world is just is a statement about the way the world is exactly it, it's so it's it, it's so self-contradictory it, they yeah. trap themselves yeah so um, just to bring this back around we all know a belief is true if it matches up with the world. A belief is false if it doesn't. And if it's a belief about myself, then it's really easy to get it right because I just have to know myself. I like spinach and I don't like beets. Mm -hmm. Okay, so easy. But it's not the same thing when we make an existence statement, especially an existence statement about God. Well, I do cause my belief to be true that I like spinach because I like it. I don't cause it to be true that God exists because I like that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because it, we're talking about a being apart from me out there. Exactly. And so I don't cause that to exist by believing it in the same way that I would say, cause it to be true that I like spinach because I like spinach. Mm -hmm. Those are completely different categories. Um, the one's about some being out there. The other is about me. And when I say God exists, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about a being out there. And so for my belief to be true is for that being to exist. And for my belief to be false is for that being to not exist, and vice versa mm. for the atheist. Yeah. Right. Well, now, can I talk to you a little bit about the different types of truth that are thrown around out there? Yes. So, now, what happened is, back in 95, the UN established a committee to discover kind of the underlying reasons behind events uh, in Bosnia, South Africa, you know, the apartheid a number of different things that they saw happening. They were perplexed over the fact that um, one group of people would want to slaughter another group of people. One group of people would want to domineer another group of people, which I find interesting that the UN wants to find a s solution to that, when in reality, the, the UN, their agenda is basically to do the same to the rest of us. But uh, anyhow, we won't, have yeah. a, we won't have a podcast about that. Okay. So anyhow, what they did is they formed a committee, which is what the UN likes to do, lots of committees. The one that they formed was called Truth and Reconciliation Committee. So uh, they did a report around uh, the turn of the millennium there, around 2000. They came up with a, a whole new categorization or redefinition of truth, right? So 
what they came up with were four types of truth. I mentioned these on the website on, on Truth for Saints under the same types of or kinds of truth. The four types they came up with were social truth, personal or narrative truth, reconciliatory or healing truth, and then forensic truth. So uh, what I'd like to do is perhaps um, read just a bit, a blurb about each one, just a quick little couple sentences about, e- uh, about each one and okay. individually, and then maybe get your thoughts on it. So let's start with, so- with social truth. So TRC jurist uh, Albie Sachs basically defines this as the truth of uh, experience that is established through interaction, discussion, and debate. Another member of that same committee, uh, Alex Brain, basically states the process of dialogue among uh, South African apartheid victims. The process of dialogue basically involved uh, a bit of transparency, democracy, and the participation is a, a basis of affirming human dignity and integrity. So simply put, when a number of uh, uh, stories of a given society are told publicly together, they form a social truth, or more aptly put, a societal truth. Can you give me your thoughts on that? Yeah, it sounds to me like it's back to that language of this is our truth. Mm-hmm. And it's instead of putting it as this is a societal truth, what they should have said is this is a societal belief system, mm. a way of practicing. And so if a society comes to adopt some belief system and then you know behave in a certain way accordingly, doesn't mean it's true if we as a group come to believe that this other group are subhuman and we should wipe them out. They're, they don't have the same value as we have because of our color of skin or because mm. of our status. Of course, that doesn't mean it's true. That's their belief system. And so it just seems like they're using the word truth there, social truth, where they should be using the word social belief. Right. Okay. The next one then is personal or narrative truth. This is a truth of uh, personal reconciliation and memory. In the words of the TRC, uh, basically, memories of pain, however flawed, uh, with forgetting, indelibly scar the victims of unjust suffering inflicted by the agents of the state. Personal stories are not the whole of truth, but they are integral to the truth that leads to new justice. Now, what that sounds like to me as um, an aspiring historian, I, I would say to me that sounds like don't trust your history books because that uh, what you're getting are people's views and that comes from their hurts and everything else, that sort of thing. But I just wonder if, uh, if you have something to say about the personal or narrative truth. Yeah, well, there's a lot here. So if I have some experience, right? So I go outside and I experience the sun hitting my face and I believe the sun's hitting my face. Well, it makes sense to me to say that my belief is true that the sun is hitting my face. Or if I remember having a banana for breakfast and I had a banana for breakfast, then my belief is true because it's about that. But I take it that what's going on there is something a bit different. Is that correct? Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, well, it, it basically it's the idea that, look, uh, you're telling us that the government has oppressed you. Well, probably you forgot major parts of the story, but yet because you have been scarred by this pain and this difficulty, these are my words, by the way, uh, okay. because you've been pained or you've been scarred by the pain and the difficulty of this oppressive government, you don't have the whole of the truth, but... Uh, what you're telling us about this terrible government uh, is integral to the truth that will lead to a new sort of justice for you and your people, that sort of thing. But they're saying now, well, uh, a personal or narrative truth is a different type of truth that could be uh, a part of the truth, even though much of it has been forgotten or it may be partial or it may be uh, imperfect. It's still quite valuable that they're stories are still uh, of pain or of suffering are still vital and important to lending themselves to a whole new way of governing. Is the question, do our experiences and our personal stories, should they lend themselves to how we view government and how we should be governed versus what is it that makes my belief here true? Yeah. So it seems like they're talking... They're using the language true, but they're not talking about truth, no. it seems to me. They're talking about a person's perspective or feeling of a, yeah. a series of events. It almost sounds like it placates the victim 
You know what I mean? Like it placates them by saying, look, I, you may not have the whole picture, but you know what? What you're saying is very important to us, and we're going to take it under consideration with regards to forming a new government or putting together a new justice that, that, that protects you, you from this sort of thing. I mean, I, I would say that we see a bit of this happening modern, and, and, and I would say modern because actually it's scary, but 2000 was about 17 years ago. Yeah. So it doesn't seem that way, but it was. But we see this with um, Black Lives Matter. I think that's one of the organizations that um, will run around and basically, for the most part, declare that they are being oppressed by white people and that white people are uh, out to get them and that white Mm -hmm. people are victimizers and that white people uh, should be checked. They've taken it to a whole nother level in order to get this justice that this personal or narrative truth, it's their personal, their narrative, Mm -hmm. no matter how skewed or how different it might be, but yet it's supposed to be taken as truth, even though None of it is true. Yeah, I, again, it, it goes back to that whole conversation we had earlier of this is my truth, so I feel oppressed and therefore you're oppressing me. Seems like I've had this conversation with many people. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean that that's what I'm doing. And so, you know, you and I might go out on a fishing trip and um, I might say to you, I feel like you were ignoring me. But what if it was the case that you were wrapped up in your thing and didn't even know I was trying to get your attention, and so you weren't ignoring me? Does the fact that I feel like you were ignoring me mean that you were? Well, not if you weren't ignoring me. Yeah. So what I feel is one thing, whether my belief based on that feeling is true is another. Yeah, yeah. And so I have this conversation with my kids all the time. So, I mean, I, yeah. I'm, I'm the unjust oppressor. And I have scarred them by not allowing them to have uh, sugar donuts before dinner, you know. And I, right. uh, now I just need to know. I need to recognize that that's their truth, and I will take it into consideration and form a whole new <laughs> justice going forward. Right? Yeah. I mean, they may feel like they, they but basically it comes down to this: I don't like the way you're treating me, and therefore I'm going to form the belief that you're treating me wrongly. But the fact that I don't like that you're doing something doesn't mean that it, what belief I form based on my feeling bad is true. So if I don't like the way you're treating me, it doesn't follow from that that my belief that you're behaving wrongly is true just because I feel bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? My feeling doesn't determine truth. What determines truth is the way the world is. Now, what's the relevant part of the world here is your intention. So if your intention as a parent is to protect me as a child, then uh, that's what determines whether the belief you're doing right or wrong is true or false, not the way I feel. Mm. And so, yeah, so here we have the UN saying, those memories of pain, those are their truth. And so they need to be taken into consideration in order to bring about a whole new justice. So that's really what they're doing, trying to to change what you just said instead of uh, taking a look at what really happened. Yeah. yeah, it's more of if that if you feel that way, then it, it there is a truth there and it needs to yeah. be considered. Yeah. So But your feelings, I mean, we all know that if not reflect and come to know this that our feelings can mislead us about truth all the time. Absolutely. And we will okay. talk about that because I that is something we will have a a podcast about because uh, we're going to talk about the hierarchy of Christian authority, that number one being the Word of God, and our mind is to be brought into subjection to the Word of God, the authority of the Word of God. But in order for, for that to happen properly, we need to learn how to rightly divide the Word of Truth. And in order for that to happen properly, we also have to take our thoughts captive, as we discussed, I think, in a prior podcast. And then we also have to um, renew our mind. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, but that's the cleansing of God's Word. So we, we bring that into subjection. And then we'll then the third thing is our emotions and feelings are to be brought into subjection to our mind. Uh, that is, we might feel a certain way, but if that is not true... Our mind needs to snap those emotions and feelings in ch- and keep them in check because they're the, the wildest of wild cards that we have to contend with in our own sort of psyche is what feels right or best to us, you know, experiences and that sort of thing. So, And feelings uh, about that, we tend to make a false assumption that our feelings are a test of truth when in fact they're not. Correct. Our mind is. And yep. so... 
we may feel a certain way very powerfully and feelings are very, very powerful, but feeling something is one thing, believing something is another, and that belief being true, still something further. So I may feel like you don't like me because I feel bad when I'm around you and then form the belief that you don't like me but if you like me, my belief is false and my feelings have misled me. Correct. Yeah. This, what I just said, flies in the face of all of charismatic supposed Christianity, but all of the charismatic approach to Christianity. And I'll go one step further and say the vast majority of Pentecostalism on the whole. It's the idea that what feels right uh, is obviously God moving. My feelings and my experiences are on at least on an equal par, but really the truth of it is they're they're superior to the scriptures. If it feels good, I don't care if it says it in scripture. If it feels right, then that's God moving, and I need to embrace that. So, how could something that feels so good be wrong? Exactly. So, well, yeah. let, let's uh, let's get through these next two real quick, and then okay. we'll wrap it up for this week. Right. So the third one is reconciliatory or healing truth. So. This is also called public truth, and it's basically the exposing of past events in order to raise public awareness of atrocity and to elicit a never again, quote unquote, never again position toward such atrocity, resulting in a sort of healed or reconciled society. So there's a truth, basically, they're saying there's a third type of truth whereby we expose past atrocities in order to uh, bring about uh, a healing and to bring about a public awareness so that this, the thing never, ever happens again. So the interesting thing about that is that even though they add this as their third definition of truth, uh, we can see many genocidal approaches in the Middle East towards uh, Coptic Christians and many of the ancient Christian sects of the faith, so to speak, uh, almost don't want to call them a denomination because they, they've existed for 1,700 years, but they're basically being wiped out by Muslims. And we see this happening, and the UN is turning a blind eye to it, on, and I, whether it's on purpose or whether it's you know out of ignorance or incompetence. I find that interesting because this is supposed to be one of their, three, their four truths, is this reconciliatory or healing truth it's a recognition that something in the past has happened, and therefore we must use what has happened in the past, the truth of what has happened in the past, to lend itself to a new sort of truth, so to speak, whereby we never do that again. Again, it seems to me like they're just misusing the word truth there. Yeah. Let's suppose there's something legitimate here, that we should learn from our past experiences. We should learn what happened in the Holocaust was a bad thing. Let's not repeat it, and let's make adjustments so it's not repeated. But calling it a type of truth just uh, seems to be a category mistake. Mm. Instead, they just say, we should learn from our past mistakes and make adjustments. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they're describing a process as a truth. Yeah. Because yeah, it does sound like it's a process. Because, I mean, we see this in the awareness of the Holocaust, for instance. We see this. Uh, the UN seems to really want to stand up and speak out against the Holocaust, but they have absolutely no problems whatsoever victimizing Israel, the only Jewish state that there is in the whole world and that whole area. They they have no problem sort of isolating a people group and making them out to be the oppressors when in reality they're, they're more the victims. So, yeah. all right, we'll move on to the last okay. one, which is forensic truth. The definition, essentially, what happened to whom, where it happened, when and how and who was involved. TRC tried to uh, define the truth along the lines of uh, the United States uh, justice phraseology of the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Uh, but really, a, a certain leniency uh, was applied to this definition because of the elusive nature of a truth not confined to the strictures of science. So they're, they're basically saying forensic truth is more of like a truth that you arrive at based on either judicial or empirical methods. You, but the caveat, of course, is that they accept the fact that there are other truths that are not confined to the structures of science, Me, meaning basically there are some truths that are not uh, arrived at empirically. Mm -hmm. That seems right. I just think that their use of truth in all four of these is they're just completely misusing or using the word true in a different way. Certainly there are empirical truths. All that means 
is that there are statements or beliefs that we would come to know to be true by empirical means. Mm. That's all that means. Right. It's not like it's a different kind of truth. So if I say, <clears throat> here's this empirical statement or belief, and here's this non-empirical one, not as if it's a different kind of truth. It's just a different way of learning whether it's true. So an empirical statement would be something like, the earth has one moon. We come to learn that by experience or empirical means. But a statement like, two plus two equals four, we don't come to know by empirical means, we come to know by reason. Hmm. But I wouldn't call them two different kinds of truth. Yeah, It's just two different ways of arriving at whether the statement is true. And so again, it's confusing truth with how we come to know it's true, which are two different things. Well, I, I find it a bit ironic that it's politicians that are telling us what's true, <laughs> redefining truth. <laughs> That's a lot of trouble. But it looks like they could clearly be pointed to as processes by which you know, with the social truth, it's basically what works for society. Well, that's a one way of arriving at the truth. A person's narrative is one way of arriving at the truth, examining the past, historical events of the past in order to prevent them from happening in the present or in the future is is a process. Forensic truth is obviously a process. So yeah. it sounds like it's four processes that lead to, as you say, truth. But for them, they want to separate them all into basically saying there are multiple truths. But I also think it leaves a lot of wiggle room for them to say, this is your truth. This is their truth. And uh, yep. the both of you just need to get along kind of thing. Exactly. Let me, let me just wrap up. Because we've discussed so much, I just want to Summarize and simplify. Okay. A belief is true if the world's a certain way. A belief is false if the world is not that way, according mm -hmm. to which you believe. Mm -hmm. And subjective or up to me, if I make it true by believing it. Well, the only things that I can make true by believing it are things about me. I like spinach. But I can't make things that are not about me true by believing it, such as Christianity is true or false. I can't make that true or false just because I desire it or believe it. Uh, and so that's an objective and absolute matter yeah. because the world is either that way or it isn't. Excellent. Well, good. Thanks, Ken. And thank all of you who have taken the time to listen to uh, this third installment of the Truth for Saints podcast. All right. So we'll see you next week. Thanks for stopping by. In subsequent weeks, we'll talk a bit more about the authority or why we can trust God's word. That is why Christians believe that it, it should be the authority, why it is the authority, the ultimate authority for the believer and the ultimate source of truth. So please do uh, click the subscribe button so that you know when we have the new episode up. And we look forward to seeing you again right here on the Truth For Saints podcast. Thank you for listening to this podcast provided by truthforsaints.com.